You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning Five here on Friday, May 29th, 2020. I am Dave Biddle. I am joined by Steve Hellwagon. Steve, ESPN replayed the 2002 National Championship game between Ohio State and Miami last night. And judging by social media and judging by our front row message board on Bucknuts, a lot of people tuned in. Steve, you were there covering it in Tempe that night. That is a game, as I put on social media last night, that is a game where every Buckeye fan who is old enough knows exactly where they were at when Ohio State won that classic game. It was just really cool to relive it last night. No question about it, Dave. And, and uh, I wrote a book about it, uh, the greatest game ever played. And it wasn't widely circulated, only got about 500 copies of it. We used it primarily as a premium for subscribers back when we were affiliated with scout.com years ago, our, our friend Joel Cox, who's now with us at 24 seven sports. He helped me kind of spearhead that. But going back to the game, I was covering it for Buckeye Sports Bulletin. I was the editor there for over eight years. And uh, my spot uh, was on top of the press box. They had uh, put a tent on top of the press box, basically the, the width the, or the length of the field. They had a huge press box there because they had done Super Bowls, obviously, in the past there at Sun Devil Stadium. And so um, we're up there, and we had a great vantage point of the game. And then I went down on the sideline uh, in the overtime to do the post-game interviews and everything. And it was just uh, one of the most tension-filled games. And I think 34 years it had been since Ohio State had won a real national, national championship in 1968. Uh, Miami was the defending champion and won 34 straight games. And they, their fans really didn't travel. They maybe had five, 6,000 people in the stadium of 77,000. I'd put Ohio State at 60,000. And when they showed some of the high shots last night in that game, you could see the one entire side of the stadium from end to end was all red. And that'll just give you an idea, as I think it was Dustin Fox said when they came out of the tunnel, he said, I could have sworn we were at the horseshoe because it seemed like a home game. And, and it really was. When Miami came out, you could hear the – lustful boos of the crowd for the defending national champions playing a road game in the national championship. So, you know, I made the comment, we were driving to the stadium, going over a bridge there right north of the stadium. There's a little river there. And uh, Jeff Rapp, my buddy, was with me. And Jeff Bream, our photographer. Terry Gilliam, another photographer. And I said, you know, they could lose this game 35-7, to and this has been the greatest week of my life just because it it was such a new experience for Ohio State, uh, you know, for for, to be at that level and to be at that that point in college football where you're actually playing for a national championship. And I said, uh, 
you know, it, it didn't matter. And then the game just blew us all away. Four hours of just an incredible thrill ride back and forth. And uh, I think we saw it. ESPN did a great job covering the game last night, I thought, with the interviews interspersed. And to me, uh, a great tribute to what was one of, one of the greatest games in college football history. I think a lot of people nationally think the USC-Texas game eclipsed it a couple years later with the star power of Vince Young and everything else that was going on. Uh, and it was at the Rose Bowl. But uh, to me, I think the Miami game, the Ohio State-Miami game, stands the test of time. And modern era, I put it up there with the Alabama game. The Alabama game in 2015 was transcendent because it finally gave Ohio State a true win over an SEC power in a bowl game and kind of contested Alabama's hold on college football. And uh, I put that up there, those two up there with the win over USC in the Rose Bowl, 1969 for a national championship. Those are several of the biggest wins in my opinion. Yeah, Steve, watching that game last night, and I, I had rewatched it many, many times over the years, but I, I hadn't watched it in a few years. One thing that jumped out to me, and this wasn't a, a surprise because I remember how hard of a hitting game this was, is just how much football has changed. I mean, this is wasn't that long ago. It was, you know, 18 years ago, and you could actually hit the quarterback. I mean, Craig Krenzel was getting hit, but Ken Dorsey got destroyed in that game, and he wasn't even trying to run. He, got, he was so bad. For those who don't know, Ken Dorsey had to be taken to the hospital after the game. I mean, Matt Wilhelm was drilling him into the ground. They, they were just – and that's just – I'm not – it wasn't just the quarterbacks. Donnie, Nicky, I think it was Willis McGahee coming up the middle. Don, Donnie, Nicky, helmet to helmet, just drilled him, and obviously Will – Will Allen, you know, took McGahee out of the game with that um, that shot to his knee. But man, the hitting in that game, a lot of those hits will not be legal today. Yeah, I agree with you, Dave. There were a lot of comments on Twitter last night that if this game had been played today, they would have been stopping it about every other play to check for targeting or whatever. <laughs> That's true. And, and and here's another thing. I mean, you just think about you know somebody has quoted you know, 20 some guys, you know, maybe on both teams played in the NFL or something like that. We include like the freshmen all the way down, you know, like Troy Smith didn't play in this game, but he was on the team and did play in the NFL for a while, just in San Antonio Holmes, as well as examples of guys who were on the team who eventually got drafted and played in the NFL, uh, let alone the front line guys who played quite a bit. AJ Hawk, a true freshman played quite a bit. We know he had a career Bobby Carpenter, and so on. So um, one of the plays uh, at some point in the game, it, it, I'm, I, I think I was down on the field. It may have been the overtime. They ran an option toss to Maurice Claret going to the sideline, probably from the four or five-yard line. You're thinking McGahee had a play like that, and he walked into the end zone on one of his. But uh, Claret gets to the sideline, and there wasn't just one green jersey there. There were about five of them. And they took him out with prejudice, extreme prejudice. Let me just say that. He got whacked. And he got up and kept playing. But, man, it was, uh, it was not for the faint of heart. I covered a Cleveland Browns-San Francisco 49ers game years ago on a Monday night, like 1992 or something. I was down the field. Ricky Waters was playing uh, for the 49ers. And he just got – the heck beat out of him by the Browns. Clay Matthews, I think, was playing then. And, and it was just a physicality and a brutality that you just – you can't you can't pick that up at home watching it on television. Well, that was the same feeling I had watching Ohio State in, in Miami as 
Jim Tressel said, you know, two sledgehammers kind of going at one another. And to me, Dave, I think Ohio State punched the bully in the mouth and the bully back down. I mean, that was kind of the theme of the game. To me, they'd had their uh, way with everybody, 34 straight wins. And, uh, you know, they went to the Carrier Dome and beat a pretty good Syracuse team, 49-7. to uh, but, you know, what, what crept into my mind was their last game was at home against Virginia Tech, and they won the game 56-45, to 45, and they gave up 45 points. And, and, and that's what emboldened me to pick Ohio State was the fact that their great defense, uh, Virginia Tech, still put up 45 points on them. I thought if Ohio State could put up 24, maybe they'd have a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter. And that's kind of the – it was 17-all at the end of the regulation. But uh, – that kind of proved uh, to prove to be the case. Yeah. Speaking of end of regulation, let's back up a little bit. Ohio State is leading 17 to 14 late in the fourth quarter. Everybody, when they talk about this game, they talk about, you know, the pass interference in overtime with Chris Gamble and the controversial call there and all that. My opinion is the game never should have even gone to overtime. Chris Gamble on third down late in the fourth quarter, right before Ohio State had to punt the ball back to Miami. He caught the ball. I think he was inbounds. And even if he wasn't, he was held on the play. That game never should have even been taken to overtime. And I don't think many people talk about that, Steve. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you have a very good point on that. Um, it was uh, it was a weird play uh, there on the sideline. And I think what had happened, you had a true grass field. And there had been so much uh, foot traffic on that sideline that I think um, – that the line had been worn away, basically, as you looked at it after the game, the line had been kind of worn away. And I think it was hard for the official on the spot to see what was going on. They missed the penalty anyway. Uh, there was about, uh, I want to say, let's see, it was about two minutes and 30 seconds, or 218 left when the play ended. So if he gets that first down, and I'm not sure what Miami's uh, timeout situation was. They had at least one left because they called one before the field goal at the end. Uh, Ohio State could have taken that clock probably all the way down inside of a minute, if not even farther, with another set of downs. And it's unlikely to me that Miami would have gotten in position. Of course, when they punted the ball away, um, you know, they get this uh, huge return uh, by uh, – was it uh, Roscoe Parrish from his own 24? He takes it back to the OSU 26, a 50 yard return. And uh, that had the decleater block on Mike Kudla. You know, he just got blindsided. That play wouldn't have stood muster today for sure. That would have been, you know, defenseless, helpless, whatever, you know, they don't, they don't allow those kind of blocks in today's football. And, uh, you know, I think it got down to the end in, in Miami. You know, on Miami's possession, a play that people don't talk a lot about, it was second and nine to 25, about uh, 150 to go. And uh, Frazier broke in and sacked the quarterback. And now it's like third and 14 at the 30. And when it's third and 14 at the 30 with like a minute and 20 to go, all Larry Coker can do there is set up the field goal. You can't go for the first down, you know, and try and try and score a touchdown at that point. You're now in survival mode, just trying to set up the field goal. 
and uh, they picked up seven yards on the third down play and came out and kicked the field goal to force the overtime. And that Simon Frazier sack, you know, honestly, if that doesn't happen and Dorsey can get a first down there, Miami could have scored a touchdown and stolen the game right there at the end of regulation. All right, I'm going to take you into overtime. You're there covering the game when the play happens on the fourth down where it initially looked like it was incomplete. It was the pass interference, and the flag was thrown. Miami's players, the flag was thrown a little bit late. Miami's players, or you could say a lot late. Miami's players are charging on the field. Take me back. Did you think the game was over? Did you see the flag? Just what, what was going through your mind at that time? Yeah, it was really chaotic down on the field I was standing right near the play I believe I would have been on that sideline toward where the ball was thrown you know we're standing four and five deep down there by this point everybody from the press box has come down and we're crowding the photographers and the tv crew at that point to get a vantage point of what's going on and it was just utter chaos and I mean television kind of captured it you had the Miami people rushing the field uh the Fiesta Bowl fireworks people that setting at Sun Devil Stadium people will remember it sits between two small mountains basically on either side and they set off fireworks from both mountains in in synchronicity with one another it was an incredible scene and so they start shooting off all these green fireworks you know because <laughs> Miami's won the national championship only they hadn't and um, I thought it was the right call. It looks to me like he grabs him when the ball's in the air. And he also had his arm around his waist. And I think there were some elements there that, uh, you know, you freeze it down to frame by frame. I mean, it was a bang-bang play. And as legend has it, they were on the sideline. I think maybe they called a timeout before the play. And they're standing there, you know, Trestle's listening to his uh, headset. And I think – out of nowhere, it's like Craig Krenzel had like a light bulb go off over his head and said to Chris Gamble, if you have one-on-one -on -one coverage, I'm going to throw it right at you, right, right to you, be ready to go, because he figured he had the best chance to win a one-on-one -on -one battle. And, um, you know, it, it just uh, has taken on a life of its own all these years later. If you like Miami, you, you think it was uh, a fair play. If you like Ohio State, it was a penalty. And then the national, the Dodds in the 40s, they're kind of in the middle on this, the national people. Some of them say a championship game shouldn't have been decided by a penalty, and some of them said it was an obvious penalty. And here's the thing. They didn't award Ohio State the victory, Dave. Ohio State still had to punch the ball in the end zone from the two-yard line, which they did. And then Miami had the ball at the Ohio State two-yard line and needed to punch the ball in the end zone, which they did not. So – Say what you will, Ohio State still had to earn the win. That's right. Great insights from Steve Hellwagon. Thank you very much, Steve. It was a lot of fun reliving the game. It was a lot of fun talking to you about the game this morning. And thank you to all listeners out there for tuning into the show. I hope everyone has a great day and a great weekend. Let's hear that Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land. on Paramount+. Plus. 
Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+.